a Hope Center Harlem motivational podcast. Hey there, Hope Center family. It's me, J.U. Jones, your professor of positivity, that person that helps you live life and believe in possible, one post, event, or podcast at a time. And yes, yes, and a thousand yeses, this is Worthy, your 10 to 18-minute motivational podcast brought to you every fourth Monday of the month by Hope Center Harlem, a free mental wellness space that offers a host of free therapy and wellness resources. To learn more, visit www.hopecenterharlem.org. And yes, guess what? It's that time. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my esteemed pleasure. And you know what? Without further ado, this person right here is a native of Roosevelt, New York, proud member of Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated and a proud member of the Morehouse College Alumni Association. He is a community change agent. It's all about creating change and lovingly known as Pastor Mike, Michael A. Walleran Jr. is the senior pastor of First Corinthian Baptist Church known as FCBC in Harlem. Pastor Mike, welcome to Worthy the Podcast. Thank you for having me. I am worthy to be on Worthy. I love to hear it. It sounds like it's a beautiful day over there. How are you feeling in this moment, in this time, in this place? My friend, I am doing great. I'm actually at a conference on Long Island when I where I just finished speaking to a group of HBCU presidents. So this has been a great day. I love that. I love that. And so as you know, HBCUs as an HBCU alum personally are close and dear to my heart. And yeah. I know we're going to talk about your story, but can we shout out Morehouse College real quick? You got to shout it out. This <laughs> Listen, this week I am going back to Morehouse. It is my 30th reunion, 30 years since graduating. And also I'm the speaker, um, one of the speakers during commencement weekend for the baccalaureate service, which is the worship service the day before graduation commencement. Love it. Love it. Thank you for sharing it. So as we shout out Morehouse College, I have to shout out North Carolina Central University, Eagle Pride Amplified, just because we can. My, my, niece, my niece just finished her freshman year at Central, so I'm, I'm hyped. Nice, nice. We, we love Central. Which dorm, if I may ask? Eagleson? Yeah, wrong person about that. <laughs> He's like, I don't even know what's on that camp. I was on there. I moved her in. Don't ask me the name of the dorm. <laughs> <laughs> Heard. So let's go ahead and move. Who is Pastor Mike? I view myself as a creative. I'm a pastor. I'm a poet. I'm a writer. I am someone who believes in the transformative power of love. I'm a father of two adults, a husband of almost 30 years. And the thing I'm most proud of right now, in addition to all those things, is that I am a pop pop. I'm a grandfather. I love all of that. Pastor, poet, writer, lover, father, husband, and now grandfather, a.k.a. pop pop. I'm here for all of it. So let's continue by talking about who were you as a child? Yeah. I mean, as a child, I was always curious, always had ambitions connected to what I perceived as greatness. Got it. So let's move into that thing that happened to you in your adolescence. What was it and when was it? At 10, I had a very traumatic experience, which is a surgery for a tumor I had at 10 years old. And it kind of shifted my life. It was the birth of what I tell people, my my own personal insecurities came during that time. After that, the insecurity, self-doubt manifested in me kind of being like a class clown. I would act out, always a comedian, always trying to get the laugh, always trying to do a little stand-up routine in the classroom. This is at 12, 11, 12, 13 years old, primarily because 
not too far from where I live, Eddie Murphy lived. So when we were in elementary school, Eddie was doing Saturday Night Live and he still lived in our community. He became a role model for a lot of us and I wanted to be a stand-up comic. That's what I, I want to do just what Eddie Murphy was doing. So if you ask me at 12 what my dream was, my dream was graduate high school like Eddie and then audition for Saturday Night Live. And so after we went through the traumatic moments in elementary um, school, middle school hit, high school hit, then we got to Morehouse College. Tell me about that experience of getting accepted into and then going to Morehouse. Well, college was not on my radar. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was on the streets making money, but I got in this at-risk program called Operation Alternative because I was messing up in school. And they wanted me to go to this program. It was the only way I could play sports is if I went to this program every day at the school. My counselor assigned to me in this program, I didn't know at the time, was in school in seminary and also working on his MSW. He was a Morehouse grad. I didn't know what any of that was. I never heard of Morehouse College. And so he was one who started just pouring into me and he believed in me. He thought that I was more than what I was showing, that there was something powerful about me. And he never gave up on me. I got to Morehouse and never forget my high top fade with all the parts, my gold rings. I had a gold chain with a Nefertiti head on it. I mean, I was a drug dealer. <laughs> and within a month and change from hustling on the street to being a freshman class president at Morehouse, and then October experienced what I thought was a call to ministry. I mean, all this happened within a, a few months. When I got on that campus, it was the first time I'd been in an environment that I felt was in alignment with my spirit, mm. was in alignment with who I was. And it changed my life. I met my my wife that freshman year, who at the time she was the freshman class vice president at Spelman. So I kind of used the politics weed my own in, you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, from there, we ended up, uh, she got pregnant. My son was born a week after my final sophomore year. We, we were able to graduate and we got married after we graduated. And it was just, it was just an amazing journey. Morehouse was a time in my life that changed, completely changed my life. It was the first time I felt empowered to be my authentic self. It was the mm-hmm. first time I had been surrounded by so many black men who were pouring into me. It was an inspiring environment. It was hard for me not to want to excel, not to want to be the best because of everything that's around me. I mean, you walk on campus, there's a big statue of Martin King. You have all the famous Morehouse men. Every mm-hmm. week at our convocation, you had some different famous men coming to speak to us. I mean, I thought I was in heaven. So what I heard from your story is one, the power of youth development, where somebody gives you that second chance and sees the magic that lives inside of you and shows you that they believe in you by giving you opportunities, which then change your life. When did the FCBC story enter your journey after you left Durham, North Carolina from Zion Temple United well, Church? Thing. FCBC enters my journey in the summer of 91 while I was in school. Mm. Um, my roommate at the time, who ironically was my predecessor at FCBC, he was in college, but he was out of FCBC. The pastor had licensed him. So he was a preacher out of FCBC. He and I, beginning in the summer of 91, did summer youth revival every summer while we were in college. So my first time being at FCBC was July of 91. Mm. So FCBC had been part of my journey in ministry, part of my journey as a, as a man. Again, I, I preached there for the first time at 20 years old um, when my son was an infant. So I've always had a connection, if you think about it, for the past 32 years with FCBC. So 32 years, starting in the summer of 91, moving all the way to now. That's and so it. let's get to this moment. 
So even moving to the now, working through all of this change that you created while being at FCBC, there were some personal moments that hit you in life where you had to figure out how you were going to continue after this personal moment. What happened? Well, before I say the personal moment, I had to precede it with during my time in 2005, 2012, and 2014, but three times while I was a pastor, I developed sepsis and hospitalized each time for two weeks and out mm. for eight weeks after the hospitalization from FCBC. Congregation always journey with me through my medical crises. All those moments of sepsis, I almost died, um, especially 2012, where I remember vividly the doctors telling my wife to call my children because they didn't think I was going to make it. 2018, though, I had a massive hemorrhagic stroke, a massive brain bleed. When I woke up after having experienced a stroke and then the seizures afterwards, after the stroke, I had uh, two back-to-back seizures so intense and powerful that I, in my biting down, I broke five teeth in the back of my mouth from those seizures. Um, I couldn't talk, you know? I remember they asked me if I knew where I was. Of course, I said no. They asked me if I knew my name. I nodded my head yes. And the doctor asked me, to say my name when I tried to say it, I couldn't, it was just gibberish. It was like, uh, I couldn't get it out. Yeah. It was deep because when I hear people with strokes and they feel trapped, you do. I could hear everything. I could think of everything. Nothing was wrong. That was indeficient. It's only when I tried to say it, it couldn't come out. Yeah. Then my left arm and left leg were, were, were kind of almost paralyzed. I couldn't move them. And in that moment, I meant when I realized when I tried to talk and hurt myself, I, I, I started crying because I knew I had, I had a stroke. And it became a challenge because instantly in my mind, I thought, if I cannot speak, this goes the end of my career. Like, I can't preach. Let's dig into the feeling real quick, because I think many times when we talk about sepsis, stroke and seizures, we never fully deal with the language that expresses exactly what we felt in that moment. And so if there were adjectives in this moment, and it could be more than two or three that truly describe the actual feeling. That yeah. moment right after you woke, that moment when you tried to talk, that moment when you were like, wow, teeth are broken. Wow, I can't yeah. talk. Yeah. What were those feelings? Agony and despair, mm. which all were beautiful ingredients for deep depression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that had already been dealing with prior to the stroke because of my history of medical issues and always constantly in the hospital. So depression and anxiety were real for me. But in that moment, I, I was despairing. I, it was agony for me. Um, to not be able to do the thing I've been doing for so long, which is talk, you know? And so it was a very traumatizing experience. I had many traumatizing moments, but that one was the most traumatic of all the things I've been through because in part, it was painless. Yeah. You see, all the things I experienced before, I, I felt in my mind, all the things I had overcome, if I see it, I can face it and I can fight it and I can win it. This came out of nowhere. And it was painless. I was driving across the bridge, lost sight of my eye. An hour later, I have seizures. After that, I wake up in the hospital, I can't talk. It happened so quick and so intense. And I remember thinking like, this thing, I broke teeth. I can't, I have a tumor in my brain. I can't get my words out. And it all happened and I have no memory of anything that happened. Mm. And I don't, couldn't tell you what happened. And it was no pain involved. That's what was so terrifying about the stroke. Yeah. There were warning signs as I look back now, like the day before I had a bad headache, extremely fatigued. Um, but I just chalked it up to stress. And the next day, everything. Boom. And, and my neurologist said that I was, you know, his words were, I'm a miracle, right? Because he said he sees 3,000 strokes a year. And the 
kind of stroke I had, people either deeply, severely damaged or they don't survive. Yeah, yeah. And I survived it and um, and came out basically unscathed. If you look at me now, no one can tell I had a massive stroke, you know, five years ago. Yeah. Uh, but I did. And I thank God for that. Thank you for sharing that story. And what I hear the two major words that you gave were agony and despair. And anybody that listens to J.U. Jones, a.k.a. the Professor of Positivity, knows that I love a good quote. And Chuck Swindle said it best when he said, We are all faced with a series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. And when I think about that quote, I see those impossible situations by moving, removing M and saying it is possible indeed to move through it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I, I have to add this real quick. You know, mm-hmm. at FCBC, one of our famous lines, affirmations, is I'm the embodiment of infinite possibilities. Mm. That drove me in my recovery. Yeah. Because I truly believe there was nothing I could not do. I don't care what anybody said, but God said, I knew what I could do. And I was determined to get back there because I believed I was the embodiment and the embodiment of infinite possibilities. I was cosmically significant. Yeah. And I knew my work was not done. It's the affirmation for me. And as we do that, that is an easy shift as we start winding down today to move to your younger self and this story from 2019. And so if we could look back at our younger self or a person that is between the age of 10 and 18, who in theory might go through the same thing when they grow up, um, or even if you're talking to yourself, what word of motivation would you give them to help them drive through this moment um, to get through this highway of life? It is a phrase that came to me in 2012 when I was dying from sepsis. It is simply this. You never know how strong you are until strength is all is left. Mm. So you never know how strong you are until strength is the only thing you have left. And, And just when you think that you have nothing left, your strength shows up. And, and um, you find out how strong you really are. And so I, I would encourage any young person that you are stronger than you think. You are more powerful than you know. And sometimes you don't discover that until your back is against the wall and you have to rise again. And that's what I would share to my younger self. You are stronger than you could ever imagine. Stronger than you can ever imagine. Thank you so much for sharing that. I can feel the vibes in my spirit in this moment. And you know what? I don't even want this to end, but... You know, every good thing comes to an end. (laughs) Let's keep moving down this road of worthy. And as we do that, this is the moment for you to exclaim to the world, the universe, your ancestors, and even yourself that I am worthy, dot, dot, dot. Complete the sentence however you will, however you feel, and whatever your spirit leads you to say. I am worthy, dot, dot, dot. Something you've heard me say before at FCBC, I am worthy because I was born worthy and I was born valuable. And I was born valued. Born valuable, born valid. He is worthy. Pastor Mike, thank you so much for being here with us on Worthy. I believe that the students of life will indeed be inspired by this. And if there's one more thing you have to give them, I know there's something new coming from you. What's going on in the Pastor Michael sphere? (laughs) Yeah, I just released my first book, Searching for Agabus. Embracing Authenticity and Finding Your Way to You. I'm really proud of this book. It is a book that is basically critiquing our cultural addiction to validation and affirmation. And what I challenge people to do in this book is that one of the ways to overcome this addiction is to embrace your authenticity. 
Your authenticity is your superpower. At the end of the day, it makes no sense to try to prove yourself to unproven people or to be something you are not. Be at ease in your own skin and honor the glory and the grandeur of your own uniqueness. Thank you for that. Make sure to go out and get that book. You can get it on www.fcbcnyc.org. Click on their store and you can get it there. Pastor Mike, once again, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. Anytime. Students of life, students of life. (laughs) Listen, it was such a transformative moment to interview Pastor Mike, who reminded us that while we go through moments of agony and despair, each of us should dig in our wells of strength and remember that we are stronger than we know. As I close out, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Worthy, brought to you by the Hope Center, where healing takes center stage. I am J.U. Jones, your professor of positivity, signing out, reminding each of you that you are worthy no matter what. Never forget that. And as I always say when I close, I love you. I love you for who you are. And I love us for where we're going. Class? Dismissed.